0: Pastor Jared prefers that I use this microphone even though I hate it because when I walk back and forth with the cord, he watches me step over it and is afraid I'm going to fall and it's so distracting. He's like, it it takes me 10 minutes to focus on what you're even saying because I'm so distracted by the cord. So, um, and please pardon my voice. I have a little bit of a cold, so pardon me and my voice and my Diet Coke that's going to help me through this. A little Jesus and a little Diet Coke and we're good. All right. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. (laughs) I thank you, God, that you are who you say you are in your word. I thank you that you have given us this opportunity to be here in the cold and in the snow, Lord. I thank you for every person who braved it and came, Lord. I pray that you would just bless our, our hearts and our minds today with your word. I pray that you'd open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to comprehend what you have for us, Lord, and that we would just draw deep from your word and draw deep from your presence, And that you would just have your way, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm excited. Our topic for today is called Advent, a Lifestyle. And this time of year is called Advent. I was raised in the Assemblies of God, so we didn't use that word. Um, (laughs) We were there's different church. There's high church, like you'd think about like the Roman Catholic Church and the Episcopals, where they wear the cool costumes on Sunday mornings, and they have the really formal way of speaking and all the ceremony. Well, the Assemblies of God, which is what this church is, we're considered a lower church, not because we're less important, but because we do less fancy things. So <laughs> that's the reality. Um, and uh, and so we didn't stay Advent. We didn't do the the candles every week. But as I Studied to be a minister, and as I grew in my understanding of different expressions of worship and the histories and that, the idea of Advent, and uh, I just love it. I think it's beautiful the idea of taking that time to light a candle and reflect on what happened um, 2,000 years ago when Christ came and was born. And the word Advent itself is it means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. That's what it means. And it's a time of preparation. And so in the church and in the way things were traditionally done was that people took the season of Advent as a time to prepare their hearts to remember the coming of the birth of Christ. Just like at Easter, they would take Lent and they would fast in preparation for remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, Advent was a similar season in the church and it still is. And the idea behind it is that we reflect the way that creation waited Because the reality was that for a very, very long time, the world was without hope and without a Savior. And the world waited for Christ to come. The promise of the coming of Christ began way back in the beginning. Um, If you know the story, in the beginning God made everything and it was awesome. Well, he said it was good, but it was awesome. (laughs) And, um, And humanity chose to sin. And it's called the fall, and that fall destroyed everything. Sickness came, death came, men and women, their relationship changed forever. And in the midst of all of this, in Genesis chapter three, after all this happens, there's curses that are spoken that are this is what's gonna happen because of what you chose to do, because you chose to disobey God, because you chose to believe that it was better to, to live a life outside of out of sight of what God wanted outside of God, to try to be like God, to try to do things on your own, this is the result. And in the midst of this horrible curse about death and about suffering and about division and about the earth having thorns and things like that happening, and literally the, the earth would, would, would push away at humanity and humanity would fight to grow. Like this. Just, just this ripping and this wraithing and this tearing apart of everything that happened. God gives this promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and he's talking to the serpent, who we know was, was Satan, who came to tempt Adam and Eve. And he says to the serpent, and it's interesting, because just before that, he tells the serpent, you're going to be cursed to crawl on your belly and in the dust. And a few weeks ago, I was super excited, I think it was NPR one or one of the others, had shared an article where scientists actually found primitive leg bones in snakes. Seriously. There were different snakes that they found primitive leg bones. They means they said at some point certain snakes, maybe all of them, walked. How cool is that? I love it. I love it when scientists find out stuff that we all kind of know. <laughs> um, not that this is a science book, but that it helps us to get a picture of of the way things may have been. And it says that you know you're cursed to be on the belly and to eat the dust. And God says to the serpent to the to the devil, He says, "I will cause hostility between you and the woman." And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And he's not talking about everybody, he's talking about one offspring. And that what that is, is that's the first prophecy, that's the first word that someone is coming who's going to strike your head and destroy you. And he's prophesying that someone is coming. That is the first messianic prophecy we have in all of scripture. That means that's the first time that God said someone is coming. So when we talk about the birth of Jesus, and we talk about Advent, and we talk about preparation, and we talk about all of creation waiting, and all of humanity waiting, they waited since the very beginning. This is a big, thick book, okay? I love the Bible. We waited since there, okay? To give you perspective, all right, that since the beginning, they waited, and they longed For it to happen. And the the Old Testament tells us, and and Pastor Jared said, you know, on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about the Old Testament and what talks about Jesus. And it's so cool. You want to be here for that? It's so exciting. Um, That the, the prophets spoke in the Old Testament. They received words from God and they shared about someone coming. Poets wrote in the Psalms. You can hear Psalms about Jesus and about his death and about him coming. And there's the whole world waited Until Luke chapter 1, verse 28. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And I'm sure we're going to look at Luke on Christmas Day. Because Luke is the one we usually read to hear the story of Jesus. Because Luke articulated it so well. Um, Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And I'm reading out of the New Living today. If you're wondering what translation I'm using here. And it says... Gabriel appeared to her, being Mary, and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Other translations say, Blessed are you among women. And he proceeds to tell her that she's going to have a baby. So they waited until those words were finally uttered, till it was finally spoken, You are going to be with child, and that child is going to be the Messiah. And it was such a profound thing, because at that point, you know, God in heaven knew, and Mary knew, and that was basically it. Can you imagine? Think about it. Your whole life, and she would have been raised with this, the story that there's a Messiah coming, there's someone coming, all of creation is waiting, we have waited, the world has been separated from God, there's been all this stuff, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming, and an angel appears to you and tells you, it's really happening, and you're the only one who knows about it. (laughs) That would be crazy, right? But it'd be so exciting. And After that happened, creation still and all the world still had to wait. Because even though the good news had finally been spoken, even though it was really finally happening, everybody still had to wait. Because babies don't come in an instant, do they? No, I was just thinking that Kayla's not in here. Her and I were both pregnant this time last year. (laughs) I was thinking that... Babies don't come in an instant, and the scriptures talk a little bit about the, what happens during the waiting period, but since it's Christmas and since it's fun, I decided I would read you a picture book. I hope we're okay with that. Everybody good with a storybook this morning? Because I didn't have a video, I was like, oh, we're going to do a book. And this book is called The Song of the Stars. It's by Sally Lloyd-Jones. Some of you have heard it before, and I recommend everybody has this book because it's just beautiful, even if you're grown up and have no kids. Get the book. It's awesome. Okay, so the world was about to change forever and it almost went unnoticed. But the leaves that night rustled with rumor. News rang out across the open fields. A song drifted over the hills. The wind whispered it softly in the sycamore trees and waved their moonlit branches to the sky. A barn owl took flight. Woodland creatures stirred, It's time. It's time. In the pine woods, Two deer raised their heads. A big brown bear sniffed the air, and a fox darted. The faces of little flowers lifted to the skies. It's time. It's time. The skies shouted it to the seas. That thundered it to the waves that roared it to the great white whales and sang it to the starfish in the deep. And tiny sandpipers danced it on shining stands. It's time. It's time. The running rivers bounded over boulders, and otters clapped and played and sang to the ducklings that splashed and quacked to the salmon that leapt and leapt. And tiny field mice and insects and little creeping things and sparrows and robins and every single blade of grass squeaked and hummed and chirped and sang, It's time, it's time. Wild stallions drummed it to the ground. Get ready, get ready, be glad, be glad. On a lonely peak, a lion raised his strong head and roared it out to the empty wilderness, the mighty king, the prince of peace. All the stars joined together in a chorus that rang out through the heavens, the bright and morning star. And on a hillside overlooking a little town, sheep nuzzled their new lambs, the good shepherd. Suddenly angels lit up the whole sky, and a great choir sang it out loud, It's time, he's come, at last he's here. And in the little town, in a little shed, in a little window, a candle flickered in the dark. And a tiny cry rang out in the cold night air. And high above, a single star set in the highest heavens shone out brighter than all the others and poured down silver onto the little shed, a light to light up the whole world. The animals stood around his bed, and the whole earth and all the stars and sky held its breath. The one who made us has come to live with us. And a young mother with no place to rest, nowhere to stay, kept it as a song in her heart Our rescuer. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift lying on a bed of straw, wrapped in rags, a tiny little baby heaven's son sleeping under the stars that he made and i love that because it just paints the picture of that moment when christ was born this that all of creation would have recognized that moment and the thing that's amazing to me and the thing that's been that i've been meditating on the last few weeks here is that the cold reality of the first christmas Where all of these things happen, we hear about, you know, the shepherds and the angels and all of creation and all of this happening, and it's beautiful and it's wonderful, and I love that, that he slept under the stars that he made, the one who made us is here with us, like all that, that profound, that word Emmanuel that we sang this morning literally means God with us, that God came to physically dwell with us in the form of Christ, that Mary gave birth, and there's all this pomp and circumstance that happens, with the shepherds and the angels, and we know later the wise men. But the cold reality of the first Christmas is that while everything had changed in the manger, nothing had changed. A handful of people knew what happened. Creation would have recognized God coming. But for everyone else, nothing had changed. And I was thinking about this. When we lived overseas, we lived in a country that did not celebrate Christmas because they, were, they weren't Christians. And I remember waking up those couple Christmas mornings, and it was like a day like any other day. The same sounds outside, the same businesses open, the American in me is like, sweet, the stores are open. (laughs) But the believer in me is like, these people have no idea the gift of God that came in the form of a little baby to grow into love and to die for them. And for many of us, um, that's the reality of the world we live in. And the shepherds, and it's funny because we think about, you know, what happened. We think about the profoundness of this. But the shepherds and the angels didn't follow Mary around. She cared for the light of the world through night feedings and diaper changes. And think about that. Here's my little light of the world keeping me up all night. <laughs> Here's the little light of the world. Got to change his diaper again. Here's the little light of the world Let's keep him from falling off this. <laughs> you know, The reality was that it was normal. And she and all creation continued to wait for the cross and the empty tomb. There were 30 plus years away. And there were these seasons of Advent that were taking place. These seasons of preparation. The whole world waited and prepared for the first coming, that birth to take place. And then they waited for the fulfillment of that promise, which was the cross and the the resurrection, And they carried that light within them. They carried that hope within them. And as believers, we talk about Advent making it a lifestyle. That's what we have. We have that light, that expectancy within us. That as we give our lives to Christ, when we choose to follow him, and we embrace all that that means, we have the light of God within us. And we carried around through our normal days and the normal things that happen. And to most of the world, it's like nothing has changed in us. It's like nothing else can possibly be different. It's like this is all there is. But Mary knew that wasn't true. Those shepherds knew it wasn't true. The prophets knew it wasn't true. And, and we know that that's not true. And God is calling us. To, to embrace wholly what that means. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 25. That's going to be our main text today. Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 1. It's the parable of the ten bridesmaids. And I know Pastor Jared just shared this a few Months ago now, I think it was. He used the same passage, so it might sound familiar to you. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids, and this is Jesus teaching, who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take extra oil When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming! Come out and meet him! All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, the other five bridesmaids returned. They stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. This passage, Jesus is talking about his return. Um, And we know the scriptures tell us that one day Jesus will return, that he will come back for his people. And This idea about these bridesmaids waiting, and I I think you gave some historical background about this, that people would get engaged and then the bridegroom would go off to prepare everything. And they really didn't know when he was coming, okay? Okay. And so they would wait and the bridesmaids would, and people would look out and wait because one day he was going to come to town and everybody was going to do this big hoopla. It was going to be fun. They were going to dance and they were going to sing and they were going to have a big long fun wedding. And Middle Eastern weddings are like a blast if you ever get to go to one. <laughs> you will dance all night long and sleep all the next day. That's, that's, that's the way it works. Um, and so they, would, they were waiting and five of them were foolish and five of them were wise and in the scriptures, again and again, the picture we see if you study the word of God is that oil represents the spirit and the presence of God in our lives. In the Old Testament, they would anoint the priests with oil as a sign of God's presence and his spirit. Um, and again and again, you see this throughout. And so the five wise bridesmaids were staying close to God. <laughs> They were doing the things that God has to do. They were staying in the word of God. And by that, I mean they were reading their Bible. They were studying the word. They were praying. They were living the life the way that God wanted them to live it. The five foolish ones were only kind of there. They knew that the bridegroom was coming. And the scriptures tell us that bridegroom is symbolic of Christ coming for his church, his, his bride. They knew that he was coming. They knew they needed to be looking out but they were not continually staying in that relationship with God. They occasionally maybe read the scriptures, they occasionally maybe went to church, they occasionally maybe did those things, but they weren't making a lifestyle of preparation. And we're called as believers to a lifestyle of preparation, preparation of our hearts and our lives for the coming return of Christ. And we can't ignore that fact. And for those who were prepared, the door was flung open. They went in with him. They were ready. And for those who were not prepared, the door was shut. And he said, I do not know you. And that's a terrifying thought to me because there are so many people who claim to follow Christ, who claim to be Christians and have no idea who he is or what he wants for their lives. You know what I think Joyce Meyer says is, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian anymore than sitting in the garage makes you a car or a motorcycle if you're Kevin. <laughs> Just owning a Bible doesn't mean anything if you don't open it. Saying you believe in God doesn't mean anything if you don't know who God is. We're called to more. And it's not a judgment statement to say, well, you don't know God, so you're just not here. It's a warning. It's a cautionary tale. The people he was speaking this to were people who he wanted to hear the truth and to know that there was a way and there was more. And that we as believers, we we cannot sit at the sidelines. And I can't tell you the urgency that I felt in this, and the urgency that I've heard other pastors and godly people say, the urgency among the church, especially in American church, to really get on board with what it means to follow Christ. Because we live in a very safe and a very comfortable lifestyle. You know, and we talk about this season of believing, the season of Advent, and everybody's Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. There's lights on everywhere. And we have our red Starbucks coffee cups. And we do all these things that are celebrating Christmas. And it's easy to be Christmas and Jesus. And it's wonderful. And it's great. And we do that for like a month, if you're sane, for two months if you're not. And <laughs> you November Christmas people, we have Thanksgiving, okay? And... <laughs> And there's this permission we give ourselves. And there's a permission that everyone gives everyone to be joyful and giving. And it's funny because charities depend on December because people will give in December. They don't give in January, but they give in December. People depend on this this idea of, of the holiday season when people try to be more religious. Well, they'll go to church because that's what you do at Christmas time. You don't go to church in January. You stay home and watch the football game. But in December, you go to church. (laughs) And the reality is, is that we were not called to a compartmentalized faith where we celebrate these seasons of faith, but we are called to a lifestyle of faith. And it's easy to turn our attention to Advent when it's dressed up, and everyone else is doing it, but we are called to be set apart to be faithful, even we are when we are the only one. And I have known a lot of people that were the only one in their family, the only one in their city, that were doing it. And I tell you today, church, that there is no excuse for us when we have so much freedom and we have so much given to us. The Scripture says to that which is given, much shall be required. We are given so much. The fact that we have so many copies of this book in so many different ways. Mine is awesome because I can color in it. See, it's pretty. Look at that. Um, We have all these different things, and there's people that are desperate for Scripture in other countries. They're desperate for truth. They're desperate for these things. And all around us, we work and we interact with people who have no idea of the light that we have inside us. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 10. Isn't this a cheerful Christmas message? <laughs> Love it. Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> Looking at verse 37 through 39. Okay, I'm kidding. Verse 19. Starting with verse, we're going to do 19 first. Um And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God, can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of good, of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the days of his returning draw near. So we have this this charge, and the book of Hebrews was written to a Jewish audience, and the, the imagery that's used here talks about entering the heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus um, and talking about that curtain being ripped in the old, old Testament and in the New Testament until Christ died and resurrected. The way that it was is there was a temple, and in the temple you went and you made sacrifices, blood sacrifices. You'd bring your, your sacrificial animal to the priest, and you would cut the animal's throat, and the blood would be sprinkled on the altar as a payment for your sin. And it is an act of worship. And you had to have a priest that interacted between you and God, and that blood had to be there in order to make a way for you to even be in that presence. And then there was a place called the Holy of Holies. It was the most holy place. Only the high priest was allowed in there, and only once a year. And there was a curtain drawn over that place to protect everyone. It was a very heavy curtain. And what would happen is once a year, a sacrifice would be made for everybody. That priest was kept up even all night to ensure that there was no sin, sin whatsoever. They could not have a sinful dream. They could not say anything. like It was rigorous because if they were walked into that place with sin, they would drop dead. No joke. They would drop dead um, because of the presence of God. And so when Jesus died, it tells us that that curtain ripped supernaturally, just ripped when Jesus resurrected. It was, it was gone. It ripped. Um, and it ripped as a sign to say we no longer needed a human, worldly priest to mediate between us and God, that we could go into God's presence because of Jesus' blood sacrifice. And that's what he's, the, the author is saying right here. Because we have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, just like the altar had been sprinkled with the animal's blood, because Jesus has gone before us like that priest, we can now go into God's presence. We've been given this gift to be able to go into God's presence, and it's a gift. It's a precious gift. You can come to church and we worship, and this morning was just powerful. I love I love the worship here, Becky. I, I said to Jared the other day, it feels like you guys show up to worship, and we're, in, we're invited along if we want to. <laughs> it really does. That's what it feels like, and which is awesome. I love it, um, That you can come here and worship, but we are given this gift that in our home, in our car, in our walking, in our lying, in our showers, wherever we are, we can boldly come into the presence of God by simply asking and saying, God, can I come into your presence? Will you meet me here now? I want to spend time with you. We're given this gift, and we're supposed to take hold of it, and so many of us reject it. And it says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise, his promise that he will forgive us and he will redeem us and he'll transform us and he'll make us in his image into people that he's going to use to transform this world. And that is the gift that we have all been given. I wouldn't be here without that promise being fulfilled in my own life. Many of us would not be here without taking hold of that promise that there is a Savior who has seen every single thing that we have done and said, I will die for that because I love you. (laughs) I will give up everything for you. And when we come to him and we surrender ourselves to him and we're so holy to him, he takes us and he transforms us and he makes us new and gives us joy and life and peace and hope when it makes absolutely no sense to have it. And he gives us a purpose in our life. The first being to share this truth with others. That we hold tightly to that hope we're were firm. And let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Now, the New Living, I really like it, but I don't like their wording. Other translation says that that we would provoke one another. (laughs) In verse 24, which I like much better. Let's provoke each other to love and good works. Because that's what the church is about. The church is not about clamoring for our rights. It's not about pretty buildings and shiny lights. It's about getting together, encouraging one another, helping each other, and provoking each other to continue to bring this message and to do love and good works through the whole world. The church, you read about here, is about self-sacrifice, about giving, about dying, if necessary, for the gospel. It's not a self-serving selfish child that does what it wants when it's given what it wants. We are to be the people of God, and that's what we're called to. Verses um, 37 and 39, through 39 say, For just a little while the coming one will come and will not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. He's the, the author is referencing the Old Testament, the book of Habakkuk, if you're interested, Habakkuk chapter 2. And this, this idea that Christ is returning. And the way that that works is all of us are going to meet God one day. We're all going to die. But the scriptures also talk about a second coming of Christ, about Christ returning, about a new heaven and a new earth and everything being transformed. And you can read about that carefully later in the, the Bible, um, you need help with that. That's a tricky passage. The book of Revelation is, is deep waters. Let's just say that. <laughs> it's deep waters. Um, and scholars have had a lot of fun looking at it. Um, but we know that he's returning, and Jesus himself said he was returning again. And this, this, this idea that those who know him and then reject him And I have known those who know him and reject him. (laughs) It says that, you know, that God will take no pleasure in that person. That he gives us all the opportunity to receive. He gives us all the opportunity to know him. He gives us all the opportunity to come back. And trust me, a lot of us have been on the path and wandered off. And we're like cows sometimes. We don't go straight. We wander. Okay? (laughs) You know, (laughs) our lives are less straight lines and more like cow paths, some of us. But we come back, and God wants us to stay with him. But there is a reality that if we reject him, we will have no part with him. And it's not just about heaven and hell. It's about a lifestyle of preparation, a lifestyle of having God in your life, someone to hold on to, someone to get you through, someone to guide you, someone to speak life into you. Because if it was just about heaven and hell, who cares? Do what you want. Hopefully you say a prayer at the end. But that's not what this book teaches. That's not what God is about. God is about having a life here with him. And I know my life here with him is a whole lot better than it was when it wasn't with him. It's not easier, but it's better. I still scream at my kids, but I love them a whole lot more afterwards. (laughs) because I understand how God feels about me. (laughs) Not that he screams at me, because God doesn't scream at me, but I'm sure there are times he wants to. What are you doing today, Hillary? Okay, so a a lifestyle of Advent is a daily preparation, growing in the knowledge of God, doing his will, and looking to his return. It's that simple. But we have to choose it for ourselves, We have to choose. Just like those cool little Advent calendars, you open the door and you get a treat every day. Think of the Bible as that. Every day you open the word of God until his return, whether it be your going home or him coming to meet you. And you take that sweet gift of God into your heart and you share it with others and you grow in that relationship with God. That's what God wants for every one of us.